Hello and welcome back to a brand new season of Accommodation Matters, where we talk about the issues that matter for student accommodation. I'm Jenny Shaw, the Higher Education External Engagement Director at Unite Students. Now this month we launched Living Black at University, the first ever report into black students' experience in student accommodation, which you can find on our website. The research was undertaken by Halpin, and it found evidence of racism experienced in accommodation and some of the negative impacts this had on black students' mental health and the lower sense of belonging experienced by black students compared to their white peers. We worked with the Higher Education Policy Institute, HEPI, on the launch, and they put together a webinar and a panel discussion chaired by their director, Nick Hillman. So for this month's episode of Accommodation Matters, we're delighted to share with you a special edit of this panel discussion that homes in on some of the key points. The panellists were Sam Kingsley, Senior EDI and Wellbeing Manager for Unite Students, Hilary Giebi-Ababio, the NUS Vice President for Higher Education, Hasaro Otobo, Project Manager for the Research from Halpin, and Professor Iola Solanke, Chair in EU Law and Social Justice and Dean for Equality, Diversity and Inclusion at the University of Leeds. I found the panel discussion compelling and really helpful in getting a deep understanding of the issues facing black students in accommodation and also the wider implications of this. I hope you'll find it useful too. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Just before we get going, I just want to mention three things. First of all, how original I think uh, this piece of research that we're going to hear about is. I cannot think of any other piece of research that covers the issues that Asaro and her colleagues have revealed. Secondly, I just want to note at the start the phenomenal level of interest in this topic, and I hope other organisations will note that. And the third thing I want to just say at the start is to thank Unite Students and Halpin for getting this project off the ground. So it's time to go over to Asaro Tobo from the Halpin Partnership. Hello, everyone. It's so good to be here and see so many of you to hear about the findings of the report and see how we can work together to help better the experiences of Black students in accommodation. So here are a few headline statistics that are embedded into the report. So more than half of Black students surveyed report having been the victim of some form of racism in their accommodation. And over two thirds of all student respondents report having witnessed acts of racism. Black students report an overall less positive experience in their accommodation compared to white students. Only 43% of black students surveyed feel a sense of belonging in their accommodation. Three quarters of black students report some level of impact on their mental health due to racism. This was compounded by the lack of support and difficulties in finding Black counsellors who had the experience to understand the impact of racism. So quantitative data is key for us to monitor trends, take actions. And I hope that being able to see these headline stats really shows you how much work there is needed to be done. Often in research, the focus can solely be on quantitative data and not a lot of space is given to the qualitative data. So the actual words of the participants, these show you their very real lived experiences. So 
In the focus groups, some key themes arose. The next quotes are about the feelings of Black students, which can include feelings of isolation and impacts on their health and well-being. And as I read these quotes, it's important to stress that this is how the students feel and this is their perspective. So please listen to them carefully. I was the only Black person in my accommodation. My housemates were very social and brought a lot of their white friends with them. I would have liked to have my friends over more often. However, when I invited them, my flatmates would complain about the noise. This made me feel very uncomfortable. And this is about the isolation that Black students can feel in their accommodation. Something that comes out again and again when talking about the experiences of Black students, they don't believe that action will be taken. This next quote dives into the thoughts of policies and procedures. It's hard to take indirect racism seriously when most members of staff are white. They don't understand the gravity. There is also the problem of relying on proof to address situations. Even if they say they would chase it up, you don't hear back. And unfortunately, this is a very, very common thing that arose through our focus groups. Some people felt like there wasn't any point coming forward to report incidences if they didn't have proof in black and white. The next set of quotes are about the experiences of racism felt by the students in accommodation. I found out that one of my flatmates was quite racist. She said a lot of racist things behind my back, which showed that she was conscious of what she was doing. I had a friend who had an Afro, which students would always touch, and she really hated it. It made her go into her shell. Those were just a few quotes that came from our focus groups with Black students. So have the stats, have the quotes, and just see, see what the real lived experiences of Black students are. Thank you, Asari, for giving such a, a lucid and comprehensive overview. So we're now going to move over to the panel to respond to the report. First, Sam Kingsley, who's a quality, diversity and inclusion and well-being manager at Unite Students, so a colleague of Jenny's. And after Sam, we'll hear from Hilary Jebby Ababio. She is vice president of higher education at the National Union of Students. And then thirdly, uh, we'll hear from Yola Salanka, who is chair of EU law and social justice and the dean for equality, diversity, inclusion at the University of Leeds. So with no further ado, I'm going to go over to Sam. Thank you, Nick. Good morning, everyone. This research and similar work is why I do this job. I was appointed after this research was commissioned, but pleased to be welcomed into an organisation that is actively working towards creating change, and I'm proud to have been able to contribute to this groundbreaking piece of work. Research means absolutely nothing without action, and the beauty of this report lies in the opportunity it presents us with to channel our resources collectively to deliver positive outcomes. So I'd like to take you back a few years. As you know, my name is Sam Kingsley, but Kingsley's not my family name. My parents, having experienced education in the UK, decided that in order for me to succeed, they would give me a Eurocentric surname. But they did this to give me what they felt was the best chance in a space where they'd both at times experienced extreme discrimination. 
during my education, I was often, as many other black people were and are, impacted by the racialized environments in which I studied, experiencing a range of discrimination from the out and out racist in the playground to microaggressions and unfair teaching practices. So when I was about nine years old, my father, realizing that it had not had the effect he'd imagined, decided to change my surname to the family name, Wananchuku, which is a strong Zambian name and means son of days. It wasn't until later when I had to undo the chaos caused by switching surnames and chose to simplify things by returning to the name I was giving at birth that I realized whilst it had not had the effect expected in the face-to-face setting of education, it was far easier for example, to get an interview, far easier than it was for my extended family and peers who had names of African origin. I realised how wrong that was and how much still needed to be done. And that experience has always stayed with me, leading me on a journey to why I'm here today. Unite Students' journey towards inclusion has been evidenced by some of the research that Jenny shared with us earlier, and of course, by my appointment to design and implement the forthcoming EDI and wellbeing strategy. The research, has of course helped to shape the strategy and is a very brave step forward in our renewed effort to effect change. The report points to many clear and actionable recommendations, most notably the findings around the impact of racism on mental health and the lack of suitable support provision for black students, as well as the need for greater diversity and diversity training amongst staff in the sector. Included in our strategy is the development of a diversity leadership programme open to employees of black heritage. This type of positive action will support the creation of a more diverse talent pool across the student accommodation sector. Where some of the recommendations address universities specifically, we want to work collaboratively, creating a national working group comprising of key national stakeholders. We also plan to host a sector-wide roundtable inviting EDI leads from across the HE sector to listen to the voices of Black students and action change. This isn't just an opportunity for Unite students, but for all of us in HE. The success of the research is centred in action, and we all need to come together to listen and enable students to be part of the change. Thank you, Sam. So let's go uh, immediately over to Hilary from the NUS. Hilary. Hi, and good morning, everyone. It's such a privilege to be here. And I can't tell you how happy, how proud I am of the team at Helping, of the work that Unite are doing in in commissioning this and and making this much more than just an anecdotal conversation, but something solid that has research backing it. It was interesting to me reading this and like listening to almost the experiences of those students, because even though I've been graduated for maybe three years now from university, all of those experiences are experiences that I experienced too, that the students that I speak to on a regular basis also talk to me about still experiencing. And so I'm really just so grateful for the fact that this report now exists, that this research has kicked off what I hope would be an environment of people looking deeper into this. Really, I hope that it triggers a, a moving on point where we will start to put in meaningful interventions and action. And so there's a few things that I reflected on when I, I was reading this report. And I, I think some of the things that were in there 
were really powerful in sort of demonstrating and really bringing to life how important it is for us firstly to understand that the experiences that we're hearing about in this report, I'm sure many of you will know that they're not new. You know, this isn't the first time Black students have spoken about experiences of racism at university, from the touching of hair to inappropriate remarks made at them and, and behaviours made towards them within university environments, to the fact that they don't feel that they are able to fit in and find communities where they are able to feel safe and feel free and open to be themselves without them being worried about some level of racism, prejudice or discrimination coming their way. You know, being somebody that's been working actively in decolonizing education, when we are talking about fighting racism, when we are talking about decolonizing, it goes far beyond the curriculum, far beyond the academic settings of the university and educational experience and really has to be something that is holistic and wide-reaching when we think about it being something that has to happen in all parts of our sector and, and our institutions for it to actually be meaningful and impact the lives of those that are experiencing it. We need to do more in thinking about the holistic experience of Black students at university. The second thing that I wanted to say is that I thought it was especially clear in how these experiences were communicated, that they transcend direct instances of racism. And I thought that was really interesting. There's a lot of times when Black students speak about their experiences, and it's really easy for people to think that it can be boxed into a curriculum that is largely Western and has racism sort of embedded in it. It could be boxed into mental health. But I think what was really powerful about this is that all of these experiences transcend sort of boxed in categories. For us to really understand how to tackle all of these issues, we must be so recognizant of the fact that it's the environment and it's the way that these environments have been built that continue to allow racism in all its forms to continue to make university settings, especially accommodations, feel unsafe and, and unwelcoming for students. And I wanted to pull out a few pieces of data from this report that I thought were particularly powerful in representing this. It was interesting how 28% of the students surveyed in this report talked about there being a lack or, or no culturally relevant services. And I think this is something that lots and lots of Black students can um, resonate with. I went to Bristol, for example, it isn't very well known for being a very diverse area. And so I know what Black students are talking about when they say that, you know, they can't find shops where they can get the hair products they need. They can't find shops where they can buy the foods that they normally eat. They can't find places where they can meet people like them that could support them and sort of really remind them of home and enable them to feel included and welcomed into a community. I think it's really also interesting when we hear about, you know, a lack of diverse staff and accommodation that it reflects the little support, especially for students that are having responsibilities back home. And this is very common with black students, that a lot of black students have responsibilities that are away from the university setting. And so the mental health support they need goes beyond just what is offered on campuses. And I think it's interesting that a lot of students talked about the fact that it wasn't just incidences of staff doing things that made Black students feel uncomfortable that was the issue. It was also students-to-student, peer-to-peer interactions. And so I think the third thing I want to talk about is how important it is for us to, you know, remember the fact that Although we've done all of these incredible things around unconscious bias training and around how we deal with race and the ways that we interact with black students and staff and other students of color, 
these just do not go far enough. And I think this is, is well um, represented in the fact that students are talking about not being able to host friends over. People are talking about some of these more micro ways that they are made to feel that they can't be free and can't be open and can't feel safe. We can't just be complacent that what is already being done is good enough. What I will say is that it's really, really important that in all of this, um, now that we've got this research, now that we have this information, now that we've got something to really supplement the hundreds and hundreds of voices of Black students that have been talking about these experiences for years, we don't respond to this in a way that only looks to react, but we actually respond to these things in a way that is proactive when it comes to making these spaces, making universities, making educational institutions, places where Black students can feel safe, supported, and free from racism, prejudice, and discrimination. And I'll end on speaking about the recommendations, which I thought were fantastic. I think these recommendations are robust recommendations that are really important for us to really start on. And often I think sometimes people see things like this and think that there are means to an end. You know, if I tick off one to 10 of the recommendations, it will all be sorted. But I have to go back to the point that this is a holistic process. Like Nick said at the start, this is a very new piece of research that hasn't really been seen anywhere in the sector. So this must be a starting point. And we have to be willing as a sector to continue to evolve and listen to those voices to make universities places where Black students can thrive and not just have to continue to survive under conditions where, quite frankly, it's become untenable for them. Well, and thank you to you, Hilary. That was uh, fantastic. So I'm going to go straight with no further ado to Iola Salanka um, to hear what she has to say, and then we'll put the questions that are now flooding in uh, to the panel afterwards. Hi, thank you very much for inviting me to um, speak at this event. The previous two speakers have said it all very, very well, but I'll try to, to just give my two cents for what it's worth. But just to, to reflect on Sam's story, I was very moved by her story that her parents gave her a Eurocentric surname. And it's something actually that many parents from Africa do, as Sam said, because they think it will ease the, the path of their child through the formal education system. And my parents did the same, not with my surname, but with my forename. So I went through my years of formal education using a, a European name, which obviously I stopped using, I think, as soon as I left university. But to the study, it's a brilliant study. I echo the congratulations to Halpern, to Unite and to HEPI and to all those who thought about and organised this study and wrote this report. I'd be very interested to know actually the genesis of this study. Where did the original idea come from? How was it developed? And I just want to congratulate all of those who played any part along the route to, to the production of this report. It is very robust. And as Hillary has just said, it does move us away from uh, having to rely on anecdotes. It did make me sad because it's been decades since I graduated, but sadly I can relate to these experiences and it makes me very, very sad that they're still happening. It's long overdue. If we do take our work on belonging seriously, and this is something that many universities are now engaging with and uh, devoting lots of resources to, if we do take that work seriously, and if we do really want to make a sustainable change, then we must tackle these challenges in student accommodation. Because as the report says, where you live, who you live with, and how safe you feel in your accommodation is crucial to student success. You won't be able to perform at your highest level in the classroom if you don't feel comfortable 
in your accommodation. So this work is also very important for the work that we are all seeing now on tackling the awarding gap. Isolation and discrimination in halls and accommodation has an impact on confidence in the classroom and performance in exams. It leads to lower expectations, and this then has a subsequent impact on, on the willingness to stay on in higher education and embark on postgraduate taught courses, so master's courses, and then of course postgraduate research. So this of course then has an even longer term impact on the likelihood that we can increase the number of black faculty and black professors. So there is really a link between tackling the racism in housing and improving the number of black professors. I think uh, Hillary has already mentioned the issue of hair care, which of course I relate to. I smiled when I read that, as that has really been a drama of my life uh, as a mobile academic, not just in the UK, but also internationally. I remember being with friends outside of, of London and stopping random black women who passed me on the street and asking where they did their hair. It's tough and it really is something that it wouldn't take much to address. Just to say a bit about my um, university experience, my experience of living in university accommodation. I lived in halls. It never really did feel like home. And after the first semester, I, I felt so estranged that I thought about dropping out. And the irony of it is I went to university in London. I didn't dare to leave London, but just going to the other side of London felt alien enough to me that I wanted to go back home. Maybe that speaks to the parochialism of Londoners, I'm not sure, but it was also the experience of, of living in halls where it was nice to meet students from other parts of the country, but I often felt that they just had very little idea of who I was and my culture. I was expected to be a, a drug dealer and expected to love hip hop. And I honestly thought this is, is just too uh, reactionary and I, I don't think I could uh, stay here. But thankfully I did stay and I completed my studies and I fully enjoyed um, my studies. Just to say a few words on solutions. Obviously, universities can and must do better. Um, I think it's important that universities find a way to make students want to stay. I think black students have shown that they're adventurous. They're willing to go to campuses that are not well integrated. As Hilary just said, she went to, to Bristol. But universities need to reciprocate to encourage um, students to, to stay, because that's also a way to then diversify the faculty and diversify professional services. I um, very much like the idea of decolonizing accommodation. Hillary made the point brilliantly about the environment. It's not just about what individuals do, but it's about what the context they are in enables them to do. So we need to look beyond um, individual responsibility and think about what institutions can do to make the environment not only safe, but also a place where discrimination cannot be even imagined, let alone condoned. I think there's a lot more that universities can do to ensure that black students are connected with more than uh, drugs and hip hop. There's a general lack of knowledge about the empire and about colonial history. And again, it's an institutional responsibility to make sure that individuals know about that. Uh, institutions in relation to mental health, again, shocking data brought out in this report. 
And I would encourage institutions to think about peer-to-peer -peer support. There's really no use, as the report says, expecting black students to share traumatic experiences with white counselors. Uh, the fear of gaslighting is very real. Also, there's a fear that these white counselors simply won't know what to recommend next. And also the reporting culture. I know this is a, an issue that many universities are trying to tackle. It needs to be improved, not only within the institutions, but it might be time to set up a, an independent national body where incidents can be submitted and followed up. Well, thank you to you and the other panellists. I'm going to go straight in to the Q&A because we've had quite a lot of questions. So I'm going to go first to Vicky. Hi, Vic. Um, so panel, I just wondered if there was any differences in the geographical results um, across the UK. And I might actually go to Asaro first. Um, so in terms of the location of the students who took part in the research, it was open to everyone um, in the UK and we had responses from people from all four nations, from universities of different sizes and different places in the league table. Did I notice any difference in the sort of responses we received from those students? I noticed that in the focus groups, the students that um, were in places that maybe weren't so diverse like outside of the university and also on campus, their experiences tended to be um, worse than students who had like more diverse campuses but all of the black students from the different types of universities they did all have a, a negative experience. Uh, I'm going to go to Naomi next. I will read out Naomi's question which is about experience in the United States and she says black cultural centers are quite common to provide safe and supportive spaces for black students on US campuses. No such centers exist in the UK uh, is there merit in considering this idea? So black cultural centres. Uh, Hilary, can you pick this, this idea? Is it sensible to have black cultural areas for students, uh, as in the US? Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting question. I know that in some universities within um, the US, they've got um, universities that are like historical black universities. They've got um, universities that have like students unions for black students, like a separate to a wider student union like we do in the UK. And I think that's a really interesting idea. But I think for me, when we think about decolonization, what is really important is that, yes, it might be useful to create spaces that black students can, you know, be supported to, to survive in this system. And I think it's important to empower and support students to be able to have the tools to be able to navigate it. But it will just not go far enough unless we create an environment that inherently is inclusive, that is inherently decolonized and doesn't continue to reproduce racism and injustice in the way that this system does. And, and I think that is particularly important because we can't keep teaching our black students to just sort of survive and navigate racism like it's a normal thing that like should continue in this world. And we have to actively be anti-racist. And I think creating separate spaces over and over again isn't going to do that. If anything, it's going to make those black students feel that they have to assimilate to be able to survive and thrive rather than actively feel like they are being fought with and fought for and eradicate racism in all its forms across universities, the education sector and, and wider society. Uh, I fully take the points made by Hillary and I partly agree with her. I do see some value in this, in that these centres can provide a kind of safe space for black students and can also provide a context for them to have conversations together, which can lead to positive impact in the classroom. 
So if you have these conversations together in a safe space outside of the classroom, when issues arise in the classroom, you, you have more confidence in tackling them there. However, this can be problematic in that it means that the labour of integration, the labour of change is falling again upon those are uh, the victims of reproduced racism. So there are advantages and disadvantages in creating such spaces. Thank you. Uh, and then we'll come on to another question about the scope of the survey. So can we go to Kalechi? Um, I've got a few questions, but I'll just go with my first one, which is about social class. Although not a protected characteristic, social class cannot be ignored as it is detrimental to people's sense of belonging when misused in any space. So to what extent did the research explore the influence of social class in the relationships between white and black students and even black and black students? I think that's a really good question, really important question. And it wasn't a core demographic in the survey, but students did talk about like the different types of accommodation they were in. Um, so I think that plays a part. And I think that in further research, that it's definitely worth exploring uh, in more in more detail because it does it does play a massive part. Thank you. Iola. Thank you. So um, I'll just comment briefly on the, the question concerning class. I think it is an important issue. I think that uh, the cost of halls is is where we see the class issue being played out, and that might lead to exacerbation of racist experiences on campus. There's, there's certainly uh, more that can be done to ensure that the, the pricing of halls doesn't result in any kind of segregation and actually promotes integration, so that there is integration in accommodation as much as there is in the classroom. Thank you. Um, I think we'll go to Jan next to ask her question, please. I just wondered whether there was going to be further research to perhaps look at what the experiences of, of other cultures and other religions are. So I'd just be interested in what the comparisons were and if we'd ha already had those. Uh, I think I'm going to go next to Athena. Athena says, thank you for excellent presentation so far. Reading the quotes from black students, I wonder if the experiences conveyed are exclusively about the juxtaposition between black and white students or whether there were tensions or experiences which related to other groups, uh, e.g. Asian students. We had to focus for this piece. We, we had to focus on a particular issue that we felt was really important and really needed. So we did have that focus specifically on black students. But we, we do research into the student experience all the time. And we've most definitely got a, an EDI lens on that, as, as we often have in the past. So uh, we'll be looking at our research priorities over the next few years. Um, but we also do want to encourage other research as well in this space. And one of the things that we're really keen to do is bring together, it's been mentioned, a national working group, just to look at how as a, a nation, as a, a sector, we can respond. Thank you. Um, the focus groups were uh, focused on uplifting the voices of black students, but the survey that we did put out um, went out to all students. So we do have granular data on not only black students, but white students, Asian students. So we, we thought that was quite important to be able to compare that. And then there is a part in the report where we talk about how 
if there's a lack of facilities for people from different cultures, for example, a space for Muslim um, students to pray, it also contributed to a feeling of exclusion. So, yeah, I just wanted to, to add that quickly. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and then Sophie, I'm going to go to uh, next. I'm just super interested in this programme you mentioned that that Unite are helping to fund around supporting people of black origin to get into student support services and counsellors and therapists, because I think that is a a real issue across the sector. Thank you. So um, the question Sophie just asked, um, I suppose for me, has been really the most important thing to do with the research in terms of outcomes there is a long road towards equality and a long road towards fixing racism. But what we can do in the immediate is provide support to students who are experiencing racism. So the programme is very much in a conversational space at the moment, and we are planning to make this a long-term commitment. This is by no means a one-off. Enabling um, the increase of the number of black therapists or therapists of black heritage is really going to help students who can often be exhausted by going to therapy just because they have to explain every single thing. Also just collaborating with organisations who already exist to support student mental health in encouraging them to understand the impact of race and developing their own programmes so that this is not just for Unite students, this is not just for students that live with us, but across the sector and actually into wider society, there is a need for more targeted mental health services. And I think this is a way that we can definitely help to increase the number of therapists available. Thank you, uh, uh, Asari. And um, and I'm going to go to Eola next, because it's your chance to add anything I'm also keen to ask you if there's anything in the research that surprised you. Um, I think the idea of follow-on research is a a very good one. And it would be great if this particular piece of research could be done every every year or every two years. I think that would be an important way to show progress. Was there anything in the report that that surprised me? Um, Sadly not. I wish there were, but, but sadly not. Well, I suppose the only thing that surprised me was that the same issues were still prevalent. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Hilary, the, the, the final word to you from, from the ONUS's perspective. I think there's much to be taken from this report. There was one positive thing in the report that I thought was really, really interesting. It said something around more Black students felt that other students were standing up for them and calling out racism where they saw it. And I thought that that was a really positive piece being pulled out, that the more people are being educated and the more that they are aware, the more they are likely to catch these issues and and confront them head on. And I think as a sector, we need to continue to to promote that, but also we need to take a lead in making sure that we are coming up with the interventions and actually giving Black students and staff the resources to really lead and facilitate this work is going to be really important. And I think there's lots more for us to do if we're going to see an anti-racist sector. That's all we have time for. But if you'd like to see the full webinar, you can find that on the Unite Group website. Thank you to Sam, Hilary, Iola and Osaro for your powerful and thoughtful contributions and to Nick and the HEPI team for putting on and facilitating the webinar. And thanks to you for listening, for joining us for the new series. Don't forget to head to the Unite Group website to download your copy of Living Black at University. And you can follow us on LinkedIn for our latest higher education insights. If you subscribe to Accommodation Matters on your preferred podcast app or platform, you'll never miss an episode. 
We'll be back in March with a brand new episode, so stay tuned and join us again next time. Thank you.